Hello and welcome to The Gardening Show on Radio Karam. My name is Henry. And I'm Brendan. How you going, Brendan? I'm doing good. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Nice. How are you, Henry? I'm very well, thank you. I think we're both in a bit of a rush today to get here. A little bit. Long days at work. Yeah, long days at work, but uh, happy to be here. Absolutely. So, uh, for those that are new, we are the hosts of The Gardening Show here on Radio Caram, and we're excited to be joining you to talk about all things gardening and local food production. We are two local dads who share a passion for the garden, sustainability, growing food, and just giving it a go. We also help to run Downs Community Farm, which is a budding non-for-profit just adjacent to the Seaford wetlands. Our mission is to promote and share the benefits of home gardening in our local community, We'll be, take, we'll be taking, we'll be talking about gardening in general, playing some tunes and hopefully grow to engage with our listeners via texts and emails with gardening questions and uh, at some stage in the future we will have guests. Absolutely. I'll leave it at that. But <laughs> um, of course, as always, we'll start with an acknowledgement of country. For sure. Thank you so much, Henry. And I'd like to pay my respects to the traditional custodians of this land, uh, the land on which we're recording, of the Bunurong and uh, Bunurong people of the Kulin Nations, um, and pass on my respects to their elders past, present and emerging, and recognise that the land has never been ceded. Today. Today, we've got a big show. We do. Um, We'd like you, if you have the time today, to send us your DIY gardening hacks that's right the weirder the better because we'll be talking about that at the end of the show and uh it'd be great to yeah hear from some listeners Mm. um anything i don't know maybe use bread tags for something or i don't know toilet rolls whatever it is we want to hear about it yep we're doing the call out that's it um so if that's the case if that's you just don't forget you can text us on 0493 213 831 that's 0493 213 831. And if you have any gardening questions um, in between shows, you can email us on thegardeningshowradio at gmail.com. So, what did we discuss last week? Yeah, so we did it again, packed show, a packed episode was, last yeah. time. <laughs> um, so, we were talking about a lot of different things. We were talking about greenhouses, hothouses, cold frames, and other ways to control climate. Mm. We had a big spotlight on tomatoes, everyone's favourite, and lots of people in the garden planting tomatoes right now. That's it. We also talked about the Knight's Permaculture Principle, which was using slow and small solutions. Um, And lastly, uh, we looked at common plant diseases and deficiencies, also how to diagnose and treat them. What about today? We've got a few, a bit on the cards today. We do. We need to start maybe <laughs> consolidating the list. topics a little bit. Yeah, uh, we'll run out of things to talk about. Um, but we'll we'll start just generally by you know, having a bit of a chat about what's happening in our gardens at the moment. Mm. There's obviously a lot of stuff happening at this time of year, uh, and it's a, obviously a season of transition. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, we'll do a spotlight on sunflowers this time. So mm. for new listeners, a spotlight is. We just uh, focus in on perhaps one one type of plant, you know, one one genus um, or one particular method or technique, and we'll just do a bit of a deep dive on it, a bit about the history and um, fun facts, mm. stuff like that. We've got our tenth permaculture principle, which is use and value diversity, and I think this is a brilliant 
permaculture principle just quickly. Yeah, cool. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> and, um, and lastly, of course, looking at gardening hacks, as we mentioned before. So do send them in. Tell us what works for you. Tell us what, what are your cheats. How do you get around things and make things simple? Mm. Um, if it works, it's, it's probably not wrong. <laughs> and yeah, it, well, that's it. Um, yeah, shall we kick it off? Yeah, so um, before we go to our first song, we did have a question come into the inbox. Uh, so, hey guys, uh, can I get your advice on something that's happening to my nectarine tree? Mm. I already, when I read this, I'm like, I know what this is going to be. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and surely, yes, uh, the leaves are all curled up and deformed. Is this a disease and how do I treat it? Mm. What was your mind immediately going to? Leaf curl. Leaf curl. Yeah. Leaf curl, peach leaf curl. Um, yes, look, listener, there was no name on this one, but um, you are not alone. Yeah. You know, anyone that's grown stone fruit, whether it be peaches, nectarines, apricots, um, or even even almonds, uh, is has probably experienced this at some stage. Mm. Um, so very common. And yeah, what is it? Well, it can be a few things, but in most cases. Um, it is going to be the fungus, Tafrina deformans. Mm. There you go. Um, and it occurs when, um, yeah, obviously the leaf buds uh, are infected um, by this by this fungus. What else? Mm. So, um, if we're looking at leaf, if we're looking at leaf curl, uh, and we're looking at symptoms uh, which can indicate leaf curl, the things that we're looking for are leaves that are entirely or partially curled. Um, distorted and initially pale and green in colour before turning into a red or a purple colour. Mm. Um, later the colour fades and as the fungus begins to produce masses of powdery grey spores on the upper surface of the leaf, so looking for powdery spores, mm-hmm. shoots that are thickened, distorted and yellow in, uh, yellow-green in colour and heavily infected shoots might be killed, might have to be killed. Um, a fruit that has been raised irregular through so things where it's affecting fruit you're going to be seeing irregular fruit shapes um, rough patches red in color and it often will fall off the tree but it won't be ready yeah so it's prematurely falling off the tree That's um, it. so still quite firm how do we control it yeah so good news and bad news listener good news it can be it can be treated mm. um, to an extent. Bad news. Takes a long time. Takes a long time. And it's a bit late to do it right now. Mm. <laughs> so this is um, obviously going to be treating this with a fungicide. Um, so definitely do your research uh, and do pick the most eco-friendly version that you can find. Um, but it really does need to be treated uh, at the dormancy stage. So that is uh, during winter essentially. Mm. And ideally right at the end of winter when the buds are swollen but not open. Mm. Um, it is really when you're going to have the the best possible chance, um, and you got to time it because different cultivars uh, are going to you know have that bud swell at different times. So you really need to keep an eye on it this coming season now. Um, so after next or during next winter, really keep an eye on it and and kind of be ready, ready to pounce. Um, but yeah, I mean that's. That's how I would treat it. Do you have any other experience with this, Brendan? Not a huge amount, to no. be honest. No, um, I 
I think putting some investment into our fruit trees is really good and, yeah. and really to save them because you do get a lot of life out of a fruit tree, um, ideally. Yeah. We do want to expend and expand the life and you want to be getting a reward of fruit for quite a while yeah. to come. So in that respect, uh, going through a treatment option or a treatment plan like this for, for your trees um, isn't such a bad thing uh, and I think it's quite worthwhile to, to give it a go and to try and rescue the tree if it's looking good. That's it. I mean, a a well-taken-off tree will give you, you know, potentially even decades worth of fruit Mm. depending on the variety. So worth doing. Uh, It is is good to note. um, I've not had to go through this, but I did do a bit of research. And if you have had trouble treating uh, leaf curl in previous seasons, this might be some other listeners that are kind of like, oh, that thing, it's still around. You can use um, sort of a three-spray program. um, I sort of looked up. So – the first spray is in autumn, as soon as the leaves fall. So mm-hmm. when it's that initial stage of dormancy. Then immediately before um, bud swell, so that's when you've got to have really have keen eye on just noticing that those buds are starting to get a bit bigger, mm. immediately like spray it then. And then the third spray uh, about a week uh, later at bud swell. Right. Swells are, and bud swell, we're just talking blah, blood swell. Uh, bud swell, it's obviously... It's when the buds are swelling in size. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's, there's no trick to that to that term. Um, but, yeah, hopefully that helps. Uh, and at the end of the day, if it, if it gets really out of control, get your seckies out. Cut and it back. Cut it back and do some research on pruning. Go back to our winter pruning episode um, if you can find it. And, yeah, um, at least prune it in a way where it's going to grow back and still be in the right shape for you. Mm. Should be possible. Great suggestions, great advice. Yeah, so thank you, thank you, listener. Um, that, I know that's one that a lot of people are, are probably dealing with um, and will start to be noticing it now <laughs> at mm. this time of year. So, yeah, let's go to a song. Let's do it. Absolutely. So this first one, um, Melbourne Band, I believe. Uh, this is the Paper Kites with Bloom. Oi, 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 oi. IGA is shopping nights. IGA, where the price is right. Seaford North IGA, for your groceries and liquor. IGA Express, there's nothing quicker. And we are back. Welcome back to The Gardening Show on Radio Carom. Who was that? That was... Oh, sorry, yes. I had a complete brain fart. Uh, That was The Paper Kites with Bloom. That was nice. I liked that one. Nice, chill song. Mmm. I kept searching for songs with like flower in the title. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what about bloom? It's good and thinking. Petal. And I started going into those tangents. Yep. And then I heard this song. I was like, oh, I know this song. So there you go. Nice. It's the story of how I came up with that one. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, before we get into our first topic, you have a quick mention. I do. A couple of quick mentions, actually. So in a recent Diggers Club Spring Flower Garden booklet, uh, there was a couple of initiatives that I just wanted to highlight and share because they actually reflect on what we've been speaking about over multiple episodes, which is really cool. Okay. Um, so Fiona Chambers is the CEO of the When Bee Foundation and she wrote a great uh, article on bee-friendly gardening. You mm. can check them out online <clears throat> Excuse me, with some easy ways to – easy information to digest about why bees matter. Yeah, cool. It's really cool. 
And there was another one on the very next page, actually, which was how safe is your backyard soil? Oh, yeah. We've gone down that rabbit hole. Indeed. And we were talking <laughs> about uh, lead contamination and arsenic and all of those sorts of things. Yeah. And this particular uh, article was written by the EPA's chief environmental scientist. And he's talking about a citizen science program called Garden Safe and reflects really well what we were just talking about. You can actually... You can register for Garden Safe program to find out um, what's in your garden soil. The program is free to access except for the cost of the postage and it's available to all Victorian residents. And essentially you can send in, um, it invites Victorians to send in three garden soil samples for screening and they will, at the EPA, they'll assess the samples for the quality indicators, including soil composition, organic carbon, soil nutrients like phosphorus and potassium. And also trace elements. So these are the things like lead, arsenic or chromium, heavy metals that we don't want in our soil. Yeah. Um, this, the findings from this Garden Safe program will help to build EPA's understanding of contamination and especially in urban areas. So they were talking about a few key indicators. It sounds like an awesome initiative and it's free. Um, go and get the, toilet, the soil tested. This is amazing because I was talking to someone about this Months ago, mm. it might have even been you <laughs> from memory. And I was like, man, the government is doing something at the moment where you can get your soil tested for free because they're doing up a map of soils around Melbourne. Mm. And I couldn't remember where it was or how to access it. And then before I had a chance to Google it, I just kind of escaped my mind completely. And this is it because the word garden safe, that's what reminded me. I was like, ah, it was garden safe. That was the name of the thing. It was in the memory. Uh, but I'm surprised because I didn't know that it, I knew it was obviously testing for trace elements, heavy metals and stuff. I didn't know it was also doing soil composition, organic carbon and mm. stuff that you also really want to know. How good is that? So the idea here really mm. is, and some of the points that he pointed out, which we have discussed last time, is that the likelihood is in your much more built up, city areas, inner suburbs, not too sure maybe the house has been um, knocked over and, and rebuilt several times or it could be a really old place. It could be yeah. many layers of paint and you're not too sure what's in those paint. All of those things that we mentioned last time were also highlighted and I thought, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. What a great initiative. What a great program. Find out what's in your soil. I love that. Yeah. So there you go. Um, once again, garden safe. Look that up. One word, garden mm -hmm. safe. Um, through the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency. Mm -hmm. Agency Authority? Thing. Authority. One of them. One of those. The, 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 the science people. The science people. No, they're good. <laughs> the environment science people. So, um, well, first topic, what's, what's on in our gardens? Mm. I mean, we could probably just do whole shows where we talk about what's going on in our gardens, but we thought it'd be nice to just sit down and, you know, go through a bit of what's growing, what's changing, what are we doing? And maybe give you give you listeners an idea of what a couple of home gardening dads have going on in their patch. Yeah, like uh, to play with at home. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe you get some good ideas out of it. Well, I'm I'm happy to start it. I'll kick it off. Yes, please. What have we been doing in the garden? Um, in terms of like tasks, I wanted to give a, a bit of a breakdown. So yeah, one is just listing off the different things that are growing. Um, and then the other part was the tasks and, and some of the things that I'm actually getting at the moment or yeah. in progress of. Um, so in terms of tasks, really at the moment, it's uh, I've been clearing a lot of old plants. I had 
grown some nasturtiums into the beds, which I want to use that space to grow more produce, uh, productive vegetables. And yep. uh, so I've removed some of the nasturtiums, not all, and I've actually reseeded some of those nasturtiums as well. And then pulling out some old broccoli that we let go to flower. Cool. We were talking, I was prepping raised beds, giving them a good weed. We've got kukuyu that runs through the grass beds, as many listeners probably have to struggle with. Nasty. And uh, it's good to keep that in check. We did, I did small seed prop, uh, propagation, again, doing them in small batches at the moment. So every couple of weeks, I'm trying to do a new run of seeds and get a new one prepared. Why would you do that every couple of weeks? What's your reasoning? I want to extend out my produce season. Hey, there we go. Yeah. That's the answer I was looking for. Oh, nice. Yeah, good to know. I mean, that's succession planting, essentially, mm. which we can obviously do a topic on at some stage. So mm. how, to, how, to, how to grow food like a farmer. Uh, mm. We were getting into the zooks. I, pl- I planted some of those zucchinis that we planted a few weeks ago have sprouted and were big enough to then transport transport into the ground. So oh, yeah. I've established a little spot for a few zucchinis and I'm really going to try this vertical method this time. So I'm okay. going to get a star picket. Once it's established and, and it's almost a mature plant um, and it's starting to put out flowers and things, then I'm going to start to turn it up and hopefully gently attach it to a star picket, let it grow vertically and shred off all of the lower leaves. So we'll right. have some as an experiment and some as a, a control, just a normal method. Always good to have a few in control <laughs> just uh, just in case your Who knows? experiment doesn't work That's out. right. I still do want some <laughs> zucchinis. Um, what else? Getting the lawn cleared um, just for the kids and for the dog to, to be able to play and, and have fun in. Uh, I've been doing some investigation into water storage areas. Good. Um, and a daily walkthrough to pick off caterpillars. I noticed that there was a lot of cabbage moths coming down and um, lots of caterpillars were coming through on the kohlrabi. Yeah, okay. And they were loving it. Uh, so I my, my strategy was just to do a five-minute walk and I look over and feed the birds. Yep. <laughs> That's it. Uh, what else? I got one sweet potato inspired after our sweet potato spotlight the other Okay. A recent episode, which was a purple skin, purple flesh sweet potato. Oh, nice. Okay. I'll be keen to hear how that goes because I definitely want to do that next next season. We'll, I think. Uh, we've kind of prepped out a little spot for it. It's going to be quite sandy soil. Okay. We'll see. We'll see if it's getting enough nutrients there. And um, some capsicums and eggplants for the plot. Wonderful. Mm. I feel like I'm going to... Hog the show here. So, do you want to just tell us some of the stuff that you've been we doing can, there, we Henry? Can, we can sort of jump back and forth, can't we? So, um, what am I doing? Structures, structures mm. everywhere. My garden looks like a building site. Um, so <laughs> I'm experimenting with a few different options. So, one is um, I've made a large, large sort of panels of woven bamboo. Mm-hmm. So, sort of um, basically two by four by two by four meters. Uh, so just putting in some big ones and then sort of weaving other ones in between them in a crisscross pattern and sort of making a trellis in that sense. Mm-hmm. It's very strong. I don't even have to tie it because of uh, just the thickness of bamboo that I'm using. But I've I've tied it a little bit because I've done two of those sorts of like panels and then a third one that goes along the top. And I've essentially made like a two and a half meter tall, two and a half meter wide tunnel right. of bamboo. It's huge <laughs> and it's empty at the moment. So we'll see how it goes. But certainly it's going to be strong enough to hold tomatoes. 
And is that the plan? Are you going to trellis some grow stuff up the sides? I'm going to trellis tomatoes, um, two varieties of tomato up one side. Um, and on the other side, I'm going to do cucumbers and I'm thinking loofah. Loofah? i thinking that's where I'll do the loofah. Cool. Um, so I might add a little bit more bracing and things to it. Mm. So add to it over time because I'm not sure how heavy that loofah is going to get. But we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, I'm also doing some stuff with uh, steaks, just your standard hardwood steaks. Um, so I'm going to do some tomatoes in a Florida weave. Um, and then I'm going to do some as just single leader, just directly tied to the steak. And just I'm trying to experiment and find what works, get the data, get the research. Hmm. So the next tomato season, I know exactly what variety to grow and what type of growing you know, the structure. Yeah. I can I can absolutely appreciate mm. if you've got limited space, in some ways you want to get it right and yeah. you want to be saying, right, I want to maximise, I know what I'm looking for, I know which which varieties I want to um, plant in and, and grow and harvest. That's it and just, just squeezing things in everywhere. Mm. Um, so I've, d- I've done that. Uh, I've got a few more to come, so I'm going to do a big Rio mesh sort of arch as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just trying to figure out how I can get a six metre long flexible panel on the top of my four-wheel drive <laughs> so it might have to be a rolled up in a trailer kind of affair but mm. um, i would like to get one of those as a more semi-permanent structure that mm. i can grow things on um yeah and then uh, i've got an area that's currently a rubbish dump essentially um but it's a very it's probably a an eighth or a sixth of my garden space um that is paved uh and is where the clothesline was, is, but it's going to be moved from. And trying to figure out what to do with that space. Mm. I'm thinking building a large wooden arbor uh, as a permanent structure to grow a grapevine on. Cool. So I've got grapevines on my deck and on the arbor and sort of increase my, my grape harvest that way. Or something else. I don't know. I might I might try a few other weird climbing crops, maybe a kiwi, mm. uh, maybe hops got a friend who brews beer you know maybe grow some hops for him or you hops know, are good yeah hops are good so but i feel like if i, if I choose a grape it's going to be a grape and I, I have to stick with that so mm. i want to make that decision uh and then fruit tree prep so i finally got the time to sort of set up wire along the fence to start doing espalier mm-hmm. um which is growing obviously you would know what that is but for listeners uh you know growing fruit trees in a 2d plane that's right. Sort of, you know, with um, your main branches coming out horizontally. Um, Often you see those mm. spalier ones where they've been trained across of both left and right across in a, a, a flat plane or a flat surface. That's it. Really good for fences, maybe in a narrow situation where you still want to put a fruit tree in but you don't want it to bush out like a big balloon. Exactly. Mm. And, and that's exactly what I'm doing it for. It's down the side of the house um, where there's not much space, there's um, a path to walk down, then there's uh, a skinny long section of chicken run and they're in that chicken run. So they're kind of going along the fence. And then when they get to the top of the fence, I might continue the espalier sort of over in an arch and kind of make an espalier tunnel mm. is my goal. Yep. But that's like a, that's a long-term plan, that one. Uh, but great way, great way to, uh, to keep fruit trees neat mm. and tidy. Uh, so I'm doing a bit of that. Um, and then just the general maintenance of, you know, what has anything popped up under the graft point? 
on the bottom of my tree because uh, that's obviously not going to be the thing that you want to grow uh, and just making sure I'm snipping that stuff off and keeping it nice and clean down the bottom. Um, it's a really, yeah. really good point that you mentioned around the uh, around uh, <laughs> below a graft point. So when we're looking at fruit trees and in fact we discovered this one at the Downs a little while ago, we had a finger lime. Um, oh, yeah. And oh, the finger right. lime had essentially died off at one point and the rootstock underneath had still kept on growing. It yeah. was still alive and it's flourished back into a plant and we went, oh, this is excellent. What have we got? Have we got a finger lime? And it's actually not a finger lime anymore. No. It's, a, <laughs> it's whatever rootstock. It's a wild rootstock, whatever citrus roots, rootstock, yeah. oh. uh, which is not going to be doing very well. Mm. But, hey, we could use that as potentially a graft for another plant later on. Well, that's it and I'm, I'm sure I'm sort of keeping it. I'm keeping a list in my head now of future topics. Uh, we've talked a bit about pruning. Uh, we should talk about grafting, grafting. propagation and grafting mm, and mm, the, mm. the benefits of why would you splice two perfectly good trees together? Mm. Uh, a lot of reasons actually and we'll certainly go into those. Um, but before I get into um, the things I am growing at the moment, uh, the last little bit is just uh, cleaning up spent plants as well yeah getting things ready while my seedlings are sizing up and some of them are getting to that point um cucumbers are pretty much ready to go in um so snow peas they're all gone now the last you know couple of handfuls of broad beans which mm-hmm. uh my daughter is very good at eating so <laughs> those oh, are gonna, what a winner those will be gone soon well done good work uh, yeah a couple of weird gangly looking radishes that went to flower um ready to get those out and uh beetroot the last couple of beetroot as well i didn't get the the big monster beetroots i was hoping for of that golden variety of beetroot Mm -hmm. they were very leafy but not um rooty i suppose Mm. so something there with the fertilizing i think um and the water experiment something to change next year but yeah, that's pretty much me. Um, what do you have in the garden, though, plants-wise at the moment? Yeah, so I've got. I, I made a little list, <laughs> um, and most of them. Well, actually, there's a few a few different bits and pieces in there. Um, but what's going really well at the moment are the herbs. Um, so yeah. Vietnamese mint seems to love where it is. It's a nice shaded position. Oh, yeah. Still gets a bit of sun, but really just busting out of out of the pot that it's in, and it wants to run across the ground now um thyme oregano oregano parsley and mint we've got some carrots in some are going to seed some are for harvest um they were white belgian carrots they were oh yeah it's an interesting interesting carrot it was really tasty Tasty. super tasty um my takeaway for the carrots and i was trying to think about what i learned and my big takeaway for this season is spacing yeah okay um and one thing i would love to do the ones that i spaced really well great result the ones where i had just been a little bit looser with and just yeah. just let it go um <clears throat> not quite as developed it's interesting because it's just a bit I, of overcrowding i've i've heard i've heard people yeah mixed 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 things about that so some people swear by it the get a handful of carrot seeds just throw them into your garden and walk away mm. and then you know you have to hunt for them but great carrots but i feel in my mind, if you do that, some of them will be perfectly spaced and great, but some of them just won't take because mm. they may be uh, too hard to get to and keep watered or they're just too close or I don't know. 
So when they were too close, I just found that they exactly that that they just didn't have a chance to develop, and and potentially they weren't getting a good soak through as mm. well. Um, so my my thought or my plan for next time, which I saw just the other day, was a big sheet of plastic, like chicken wire sort of thing. Right. Okay. And it was in squares of about hmm, three by three centimeters or so, maybe okay. an inch square. Yep. And I thought. I was thinking about it and you put all the seeds down and then pick out and thin to maybe just one per square, okay. if that makes sense. Yeah. So you can still quite seed quite heavily, but as you're thinning out, you're actually partitioning a little spot of three by three centimetres for that one uh, plant. Makes sense. Yeah. So I'm going to give that a try. I've seen it and I thought, well, that's an interesting idea and maybe it will work and we'll get some better carrots. All right, well. You got some, so that's good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a win with carrots is a win. That is true. In the garden, yeah. And they were delicious. Carrots, a bit of honey on the carrots in the oven, roasted, some herbs, maybe some sage or something like that. Ooh, carrots, yes. I think carrots, like tomatoes, I think you really taste the difference mm. with carrots mm. compared to your standard fat orange carrots at the supermarket. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that variety, but... There's, there's such a difference in flavour. Mm. I can't even describe it. It's not tomatoes. You can describe it. They're sweeter and tarter, but yeah, they just taste more carroty. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense. I've got my own personal gardening bias, and that yeah. everything from the garden of that course. I've grown myself tastes oh, better. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> if that's what keeps you gardening. Um, it's true, though. <laughs> um, what else? We've got spinach and spinach and silver beet. So this was part of that succession planting. Mm. Um, they're super easy to grow, can grow them all the time. It's a good win. The silver beet rainbow chard yep. is quite visually quite cool as well. Yes. And um, generally speaking, when they start to go to seed, I'll get another set prepped yeah. to go in. Great. Um, kohlrabi, we mentioned before. I've got a purple kohlrabi and garlic and onion also. Uh, onions not doing too badly. They're starting to form up. They've got a good bit of volume to them. Okay. Um, garlic, we'll see. We'll see about the garlic. I'm in that camp as well. I'm looking at my garlic. I'm like, eh, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Although the variety was a smaller red s- style garlic, so I'm not oh, okay. too sure how big the the actual clove will get. Yeah. Mm. Well, it's all edible, so. Yeah, Worst true. case scenario, you've got some, you know, green garlic, whatever they call it. Yep, scapes. Yeah. Scapes and stuff, yeah. Um, I've also got some perennial garlic in there, which has been really good. And I would actually suggest this as a bit of a border if it's in a garden bed because mm. it's staying in there and it's not, it's just going to self-seed over and over again. This perennial garlic, it does create a kind of cool, nice little green border. Okay. Yeah, nice. Um, raspberries, strawberries. Uh, netting netted fruit trees, so okay. the plums. We've got a, we've got a Angelique and a President plum. Oh, I, know, a, I know you really love that Angelique. The Angelique. I know that's your that's your prime plum. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. That one goes back to the grandparents and oh, um, nice from. Oh, yeah, I just remember walking through a grove of plum trees and a big plums all over the floor and that dark purple plum with the green yellowy flesh on the inside Love super that. delicious that's awesome mm. um there's a fig a lem a mandarin a lemon lime and i think that's about it in the garden there's wow. a few things a few things well back to me what have i got so um yeah so i i did the silly rookie mistake of planting a ton of lettuce and Hannah and I were swimming in lettuce for months 
And now they are at the point where like there's maybe one that I could still get leaves from and the rest are just giant spikes yep. of heaps bitter leaves. Um, but leaving some of those to just go to seed and spread, the ones that I really liked the flavour of. Um, so I've started a new batch of um, just some standard cos lettuce and then a red cos, mm-hmm. which I don't think I've ever had before. So that, that seemed pretty nice. And then um, just like a butter, butter leaf, sort of green butter leaf one. Uh, but instead of putting them all in one spot, knowing that there's going to be some big plants coming up in the garden, you know, tomatoes and such, I've, I've put these seedlings in the most random places all throughout the garden, almost as an experiment. Mm. Um, you know, I know the lettuce packet says full sun. Lettuce rarely wants full sun. <laughs> you know, um, it, it needs water, it needs moisture, needs a bit of light, but it doesn't need to be blasted. So some are in between artichokes, <laughs> underneath the artichokes, um, in random beds, amongst herbs, in the middle of a nasturtium, I've put them everywhere. Cool. And test what works well. Um, I have a feeling they're all going to work pretty well. Uh, but I will make the mental note that about four weeks from now, I'm going to buy a bunch more mm. and get them in. And just that's going to be part of my my annual every single four weeks um, so or every month or so, put in 20 seedlings of lettuce so that I'm never without lettuce. In, in Melbourne, it's possible. Yeah. We, we can actually have salad and be pulling salad from the garden all year round. All year round. Mm. So Great great strategy. Yeah. you know, and, and besides that, obviously just scattering seed. So I've done this all over my garden. I got <laughs> – I found a whole stack of really old seeds, um, ran a mix of flower, uh, flowers, some um, sort of cover crop type stuff, you know, like wild brassica and a few other bits and pieces of rye and whatever. Hmm. Um, How did they come up? Uh, some are popping up everywhere, like hmm. the secondary chicken run, which the chickens aren't allowed in yet because I've been letting those plants grow so that they just immediately eat everything, is just thick and dense with, you know, still not very high, maybe five to ten centimetres at most of a wide variety of leaf shapes. I still don't know what everything is that's popping up, but mm. it's going to be very diverse wildflower slash food meadow. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of my test. And because I like the way that it's looking, I did a similar sort of mix and I literally just walked around my garden just like I was a sprinkler, just, yep. just throwing it everywhere, all along the bottom of the paths, around the base of the garden beds, chuck them in there. Anywhere where weeds pop up, I want to be the one controlling what is a weed, mm-hmm. and what grows like a weed. So I shoved seeds in there and I've done this to my entire garden. And the goal is that a few years from now, I can just walk out, just randomly pick things that are near my feet mm-hmm. and be able to make a full different, like a salad. I think by the sounds of it, you're going to get there. That's the goal. This might just be a horrible mess, but we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. It'll be a fun experiment. Can I ask you, with the lettuce, did you uh, that you were planting, were you planting them as seeds or as seedlings? Seedlings. Ah, seedlings, yeah. just because it's, it's that quick crop that I want to eat mm-hmm. constantly. Um, so I find lettuce seedlings are really cheap. You know, in a, in a $4 packet, you're going to get potentially, you know, 12 to 20 individual little lettuce seedlings if you pull them apart gently. So for me, that's worth the cost. 
Certainly yeah. compared to buying a $4 bag of mixed lettuce leaves. Absolutely. <laughs> from the supermarket. <laughs> you just you just made me think about a gardening hack, which I'm going to write down in now. Okay, <laughs> good, good, good. Um, what else? Uh, I bought a blueberry, finally. Mm-hmm. Um, I found a good spot for it, but it is currently in that rubbish tip area I described. So um, just keeping it watered and happy until I can get it into the ground. Um, we've got a bunch of strawberries, which were propagated from runners, from downs, from the farm. Um, so we'll eventually take those back there, um, but I'll, I'll keep a few for myself. Mm. Some of them look healthy and nice and there's like 50 of them <laughs> taking up a big portion of the, uh, of the ground uh, in pots. And they're flowering now? Uh, yep. So, uh, a lot of them are flowering. Um, some of them are starting to fruit. Mm. So little, little baby nothing strawberries, but they're there. And uh, basil. Just bought a bunch of basil as well, just to again dot around the place. One more with with the basil uh, mm. seedlings or as seeds. Seedlings, cool seedlings. Um, just a big. It was like a twenty centimeter pot, but with the little tiny seedlings and like thirty of them or something. So mm-hmm. just, it was really cheap, so I just grabbed it. And I'll just throw them in there. Um, particularly once I get the tomatoes in, mm. there'll be basil right next to them and all around them. That's the plan. Uh, yeah, what else? Doing a bit of mulching to keep the weeds that I don't want down um, while the other ones, you know, size up. And I've been fertilising. A um, bit late to the fertilising party, but now that things are starting to pop flowers and things, I thought just a nice way to give them a bit of a boost, in particular liquid fertiliser, mm. something that acts pretty quickly. Um, including my artichokes that are all starting to form there their flower head, you know, the the artichoke. So just to give them a little bit of a boost, I've used this product. um, I'm never going to recommend a product, but Mm -hmm. I'm going to say I have literally a few days after using this seen an explosion of growth. So I recommend this product. I've done Mm -hmm. my research on it. Um, It's it's organic. It's it's a probiotic as well. Uh, It's called Go-Go Juice. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I love the name, <laughs> Go-Go Juice, um, by a company called Neutrog, N-E-U-T-R-O-G, Neutrog. Um, well, um, we're not sponsored. I'm purely telling you this is a product that, as far as I can tell, I'm very happy with. Mm. Um, happy with what I read on the packet, happy with the response that I've seen so far, um, happy with the way the company runs and their philosophy. So I'd love to shout that out as, you know, if you're interested in that. And they do sell it at the Big Green Shop. Rock the big, and roll. The Big Green Warehouse. Um, as far as I can tell, it's the only thing on their shelves that I would buy from that aisle. <laughs> this particular company. They've got a few other products as well. A pelletized version of that too. Mm. But I like that it's basically just a thick, you know, good fertilizer. just smells like death, <laughs> basically. You know, it just smells like rotten seaweed and like, you know, all good stuff. Mm. Um, but in a good way. Uh, thick and brown and I've just watered down obviously, applied that everywhere to the garden and there's just been an explosion of growth. Mm. So, 
Your mileage may vary, but that is the one and only time I'm going to recommend a product specifically. <laughs> <laughs> Too easy. And that's me. Sorry if I went on there for a bit, but no. um, there's just a lot happening at the moment, right? It's springtime. The, garden. the garden's taking shape. But there's flowers everywhere. There's bees and insects everywhere. There's all sorts of different things. And we're really, from a gardening point of view, we're, we're at that point where we're like, oh, what, what's set for the summer? That's what are we going to be growing? Have I you like noticed? It. I don't know. I've noticed. Um, the bee number has increased steadily as the, as the weather's gotten warmer, which is great. But I've what I've really noticed in my garden now, hoverflies mm, mm. everywhere. I think it's because of the amount of sweet alyssum I have in the garden. They're just everywhere I look, then mm, you know, <laughs> just kind of buzzing around. And I'm like, this is a good sign. Mm. We were talking about hoverflies just the other day. Mm. I was uh, I was having a chat with one of my mates out the front of his house and we saw a few hoverflies and I said, no, these are great. And he likewise agreed and said, yep, they were good, good yeah, pollinators. Absolutely. Cool. Shall we do another song? Let's do a song. Let's, let's take a break. We just talked a lot. <laughs> so this one is um, a great song name given what our next section is about. But this song is called Sun Medallion <laughs> and it's by King Tough. Hi everybody, this is Wit from Spiderbait. When I'm passing through Karam, aside from slowing down to 50 kilometres an hour and reminisces about doing the Eel Race Road Rumba or the Watley Street Wiggle, I like to tune in to Radio Karam and get down with the good vibes. Welcome back to The Gardening Show on Radio Karam with Henry and Brendan. Once again, that was uh, the band King Tough with Sun Medallion. Yeah. And just going back into a, a touch of uh, that last one, can you, from the Spanish side of things, can you do a rumba? Can I do a rumba? Mm, can no. you dance a rumba? I cannot dance a rumba, unfortunately. <laughs> what about a wiggle, uh, a Watley Street I, wiggle? I can do a Watley Street wiggle. I'm sure <laughs> I can. I've done, I've done a fair bit of wiggling in my time. Nice. Um, but, yeah, let's talk... Uh, Let's talk sunflowers. Sunflowers. Big spotlight here. Obviously, big flower. Um, I think it's just one of those, for me, when I see a sunflower, it makes me smile. Mm. It's, it's more than any other flower. I'm like, God damn, those are awesome. They're, they're <laughs> <laughs> I just can't help it. You're doing well, sunflower over there. <laughs> Keep being you. Uh. <laughs> what about you? What's What's your... What's your feeling when you see a sunflower? Yeah, I like – yeah, I, I do. I like sunflowers. I think they're pretty cool. For me, again, I go back to the practicality. I don't know why I always do it, but the amount of sunflower seeds that you can get out of a sunflower out head a, is astronomical. That's it. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and you, you know, they're big. Mm. Tall, sure, but they have pretty big leaves too. So it's, it's a space consideration thing as well. If you have a really small garden – Maybe think about a dwarf variety or a dwarf variety or of sunflower, or, or just go with a daisy. Mm. You know, same same broad family. But anyway, let's let's get into it. So I think we, you should start us off, Brendan, with a bit of botanical information. Let's do it. We've so, been talking a lot about botanical information. Yeah, we have. So the botanical, the common name for the sunflower, um, the common name sunflower is scientifically known as Helianthus anus L. Uh, it's part of the large uh, Astera Acee family, the daisy family. Sunflowers are recognised for their large, vibrant flower heads and often evoke a sense of joy. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> 
So the flowers stand very, very tall um, from a botanical standpoint, surpassing many other garden bloomers. And they are well known to elevate moods with their sunny disposition. I like it. I was a little bit flowery with my... With my script writing today, <laughs> some flowers can each can reach impressive heights exceeding three meters. And I want to hear about this: the current world record standing thirty feet one inch over nine meters tall. There's to tell me there's a sunflower that's nine meters tall. There is. Wow. Um, I have the source information on my laptop at home. Yep. I'll find it for you. But it is a, that is the official record, 30 foot 1 inch. Wow. Um, somewhere in the US, obviously, given the measuring scale. Uh, yeah, 9.1 something metres. That's going up to a double storey double story house. <laughs> almost a three storey house. Wow. So uh, could you imagine the size of the sunflower at the top of that? Mm. <laughs> mm. Like that would be awesome. That would be awesome. Although my neighbours would be like, what are you doing? What is that? <laughs> That's not real. <laughs> what have you put up a fake plant for? Big, ugly, fake sunflower. <laughs> um, yeah, so a bit of a bit of history about sunflowers. So they are native to the Americas and were originally cultivated by Native American tribes uh, as early as 3000 BC. So we've been messing around with these for a good 5,000 years, which is really, really cool to know. Um, the historical information suggests that they might have been domesticated in the Americas before corn. Mm. And as we know, corn is one of the earliest domesticated uh, varieties of plants in the Americas. So, uh, and it is, um, of course, a uh, fun fact, the, state, uh, the national flower of Ukraine, mm. which I think most yep. people know, and it actually forms part of why their flag is yellow. So, uh, sunflower f- fields. Um, so, that can give you an idea of the sort of stuff that it's used for, you know, not just um, seed specifically, but seed oil. Seed oil, a big, yeah, uh, big yep. part sunflower of it. oil, of mm. course, cooking oil. Yeah, tell us a bit about its body. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I just wanted to jump back a second and go say, three thousand years BC. Yeah, yeah. So you, we must have archaeologists digging up records, uh, digging up um, bits of out of pots and finding remnants of of sunflower seed. Yep. Product byproduct. Pretty wow. much. So you know, I think if you see something like that in nature. Mm. Uh, I would certainly walk towards it and be like, what can we use this for? Because mm. it, it stands out so much. Mm. You know? um, so sunflower na- and national. Nine metres tall. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go on. That's all right. Sunflower anatomy, we're talking a giant flower head comprising of tiny, numerous tiny, tiny blooms um, with the centre area developing seeds uh, that attract bees. Mm. The outer pe- petals are known as ray florets. And sunflowers exhibit self-pollination or attract pollen through the wind and insect interactions. And sunflowers typically grow between, as we said, the 1.3 to 1.5 to 3 meter sort of sizing, uh, excluding those dwarf varieties that we mentioned before. Definitely, uh, and it's worth mentioning, yeah, with in, in terms of the ray florets. So you know, you, you see a sunflower with, you know, its big crown of of yellow petals, or they do come in different colours. Um, those aren't actually petals per se. They're ray florets, so mm. sort of um, a type of uh, not not misformed, but an adapted leaf essentially. The flowers are all in the actual disc um, and they're lots of little tiny ones. So mm. it's one of those sort of compound flowers. Um, so yeah, 
fun fact you can they might ask that in a pub quiz one time and, and you can thank us for for that nugget of knowledge there you go <laughs> <laughs> um yeah how do you raise them so they're actually really easy uh, i love how easy sunflowers are they are in many ways almost a set and forget kind of a plant um they're fast growing very easily cultivated from seed and it is one that you just you rather just do it from seed to be honest it's just a lot easier uh slow them directly in the garden after the last frosts if you have frosts um but certainly i've had better success around this time of year um, when the soil is starting to kind of really warm up um you can of course follow spacing recommendations on the packet i find generally you know about yeah six to eight inches you know sort of yeah, 15 to 20 centimetres, maybe maybe 30 centimetres depending on the variety is perfectly fine. You can also thin them as well and just sow them um, yeah, pretty densely, uh, which reminds me of uh, a fun fact that I found a place online, you know, about this, where uh, as a seed company, I can't remember the name, but they were selling sunflower seed by the kilo <laughs> and the one kilo packet had been taken in price down from over $300, which is fair because that's 8,000 seeds, to like $70. So I said, I'm buying that. And I just bought 8,000 seeds, which we have sown at Downs Community Farm. Mm. So another plug for our farm, but, you know, give it about a month or so. We're going to have a... Maybe three months even when they're fully, fully big. We'll have a field of sunflowers. A field of sunflowers, a giant Instagrammable field of sunflowers. Um We'll let you know when it's ready, <laughs> but hopefully it'll be a real show. Mm. Um, a few more growing facts. Opt for a location receiving full sun. Uh, these definitely do want full full sun. Um, you know, it's a big flower. Uh, it's called a sunflower for a reason. So one of the sort of six to eight hours of sunlight daily. So it doesn't have to be like blaring in the middle of a field, um, but on the high end of, of sun requirement compared to most things in the garden. Well-drained soil, um, they don't like to be soggy, so, but it needs to have high organic matter that does um, you know, hold on to moisture well because they are not very deep-rooted. So it's just worth knowing. Um, and they are, of course, as you can imagine from their size, very heavy feeders. So high organic matter, good quality organic fertilizer is going to really help um, and something really balanced so that you're not just getting leaf growth. So, yeah, worm castings is always a good option. Um, yeah, a bit of blood and bone, you know, stuff that's going to help with sort of um, getting a good flower set. Um, young plants, water them deep but infrequently to really force those roots as deep as humanly possible mm -hmm. because um, there's nothing worse than this maybe happened to you in the past, has happened to me, where you get a big two-metre chonker and then there's a crazy heavy day of wind and then half of them get knocked over. Mm -hmm. you know, that's it. You can't, you can't, <laughs> you can't put a, a knocked over sunflower back up. No. It doesn't work. Um, and if you feel that it's necessary, perhaps you have them in a place that does get a fair bit of wind pressure, um, you can stake them. No issue there. I'm yep. happy, to, happy to stake them as well. Uh, they get quite big and leafy, some varieties. So the stake almost disappears, which is a good way to do it. Um, but yeah. And wonderful as a feature plant as well. 
Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. really cool as a feature plan because they stand out. They're huge. You can see them from the side of the street and it's like, yeah. wow, that's cool. <laughs> I especially like along fence lines. Uh, seeing Good way players. to do it. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Some fun facts. Um, so we'll go back and forth with a bit of this one. Sunflowers are bee magnets. They produce abundant pollen and nectar. They display something called heliotropism. Mm-hmm. I can't believe I got that in one go. That was good. Uh, which basically means that they turn their the face uh, of the flower towards the sun throughout the day. So you'll notice that they kind of do tend to move a little bit. Mm. Not as much as some people might lead you to believe, but they do experience some of that movement. It's an interesting one, um, which you'll, I'm sure you'll mention in just a moment. But uh, colours of sunflowers. We, we have traditional yellow. Um, sunflowers come in different hues of yellows, but also different colours, including including cream, white, burgundy, rust, and pink tones. I love a good burgundy sunflower. Hmm. One that has like kind of like that dark, dark super red, dark red yeah. to like an orange kind of colour, like flames, and very like. rich. Yeah, oh, love it. Um, and finally, so the French term for sunflower, and apologies to any francophiles, but uh, Tournesol directly translates to turned sun, which obviously reflects the plant's ability to follow the sun's path throughout the day. So this is, again, I love this. I'm all for different languages, different uh, understanding names of stuff, how people talk about it in different areas of the world, and how cool is that? Turned sun or turned sun. Turned sun. Tournesol. Hmm. Sorry, I didn't mean to do a no, no. <laughs> terrible French accent there. <laughs> uh, but anyway, let's um, let's go to a song. Uh, this one, this one's a it great band. You <laughs> and I and Weeds. I'm Councillor Chris Hill, Deputy Mayor of the City of Kingston, and you're listening to Radio Carum. And we're back. On Radio Carum, on the gardening show with Brendan and Henry. That was, <laughs> was that Henry. <laughs> Henry. <laughs> Henry. That's better. <laughs> Keep it nice and deep. It's nice and deep. That was um, UMI with Weeds. Uh, weeds. Weeds. Uh, which, as we know now, as listeners of this show, uh, lots of them are edible. Yep. Just misidentified. That's it. <laughs> Unwanted. Change, change your thinking. <laughs> uh, let's get into a bit of permaculture. So, three to go. Here we are, the 10th permaculture principle. This is use and value diversity, which I think is a great thing in gardening and in life Mm. uh, and in society and in everything. Um, But basically, the way I see this, it's the more the merrier. That's really, that's what, that's that's how I see it in my mind. What about you? What do you think of when when you hear this term? Use and value diversity, more the merrier. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking, I think strength in diversity. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I think to sometimes uh, <laughs> I'm not so much thinking about the garden so much as each other. There's mm. always strength in diversity and part of, the, our, part of what makes us so strong is the differences that we have. Yeah. Um, so that was some of the things that I thought about straight away. But uh, use and value diversity, the more the merrier. Yeah, a spread, a larger, like throw it all in there. That's it. It's like me throwing seeds into yep. the garden. Diverse. <laughs> Be more diverse. So you were enacting the permaculture principle? <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking of. No, uh, but, but, you know, looking at my garden, that is definitely 
something I would say about it is mm. that it's diverse and because of that it's resilient. But um, let's go back to one of the co-founders, the late Bill Mollison, uh, had a bit of insight in this. He said, diversity is about functional connections, not just the quantity of elements. Mm. something we've touched on before in, in different um, permaculture principles. But that's really what it's about is diversity of connections, diversity of interactions, not just diversity of number of plants that you have or types of plants that you have. I like the functional connections, mm. something that's working, working for a benefit and yeah. that's giving something else to, you know, it, we, we've mentioned it before, but things that are doing multiple jobs. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Uh, and if it's not doing anything, get it out. <laughs> um, but yeah, thinking of diversity is like a, it's a party planner, you know, it's sort of bringing things together. Yeah. Bad, not, not a strong analogy, but uh, you know, ensuring resilience and abundance in permaculture systems is really what we're talking about. So, mm-hmm. you know, one example, of course, is composting. Now we can talk about diverse methods of composting, of course. So, you know, your standard composting, maybe vermiculture, you know, worm farms. Mm-hmm. Um, you can have a tumblers, hot tumblers, compost. Hot compost, weeds in a bucket of water. So many ways you can compost things. Um, but what we're also talking about is the diversity of what goes into your compost. So that next layer yep. of diversity. Diversity of layers. Just <laughs> diversity everywhere. So, you know, the more diverse the composition of your compost, the the higher, you know, number of nutrients you're going to be getting out of that compost, uh, the more broad your mineral spectrum is going to be of that compost. So that makes sense. Thinking about it as well as, yeah, not just a diversity of things, but a diversity of outcomes as well. Yeah. So, uh, Animal, of course, is another way to add diversity. Um, so in animal systems, uh, incorporating animals into your garden, um, which again, add diverse elements into a garden. This uh, is going to give you healthier plants, um, you know, different you know, stability in your garden. Another big one though for me is redundancy. So going back to rainwater, yep, yep. <laughs> always goes back to rainwater collection. Um, this is why I think everyone should be collecting water in Australia. Uh, and ideally collecting it in a way where it's drinkable hmm. would be the, the ideal way to do it. I admit mine is absolutely not drinkable. The system has not been designed in that way. My goal is to upgrade it to that sort of a system um, because you never know. We live in a country that is very dry, um, Victoria less so, but for example, me having grown up in Perth, um, you know, water restrictions. That was a normal yeah, totally part of the course my entire life growing up. Um, you know, it was totally normal that you could only water your lawn on certain days of the week and your neighbours would be out there dobbing you in if, if you didn't. Mm. Uh, and everyone knew, just like when you know what week the recycling bin goes out, everyone knew what week there was their recycling, uh, their, their watering week. Mm. So, you know, with climate change, that's only going to get more important over time. Mm. So ensuring resilience for yourself um, by having multiple sources for the same things that you need. It's just making me think. It's uh, my, my mind's running with these mm. ideas and I'm thinking, 
welcoming in beneficial birds um, yeah, as a totally. part of the system, welcoming in beneficial insects as a part of the system. Without these ones, uh, we're not going to get great pollination. We're not going to get the produce of what we want. So the system needs that resilience that needs that multiple inputs, lots of different, uh, lots of different bits and pieces. That's it. That's it. You know, garden defence is another big one for me. So a few things. Number one, you know, attracting, yeah, a variety, a diverse variety of predatory insects and not insects, birds and things as well, mm. means that you have the ability to manage all different varieties of pests. Because if you only focus on bringing in, oh, I just want to make sure I have a ton of, uh, I don't know, ladybirds in my garden. Okay, cool. You're probably going to have... a. a a low amount of aphids in your garden if you're successful at that, which mm. is really good. But then what about the cabbage moth? What about this? What about that? Mm-hmm. So that sort of thing. And also um, diverse crop varieties. So that's why I always think if there's a plant that you like, let's let's say tomatoes, don't just grow one variety of tomatoes because at, at best you'll get a great crop and that's awesome. Mm. At worst, maybe that variety doesn't work well Uh in the space that you've put it um, or in your particular soil, you know, within types of plants and the varieties of those plants, there are some will prefer more water, less water, more heat, less heat, Mm. more light, less light. So trying things, you know, try six different kinds of tomatoes when you move into a new house in six different areas and see what works. Um, it's a great suggestion. It's a good suggestion is uh, I should write a book one day. <laughs> <laughs> I do like the garden defence uh, in, in terms of plants, yep. so repellent plants. Yes. And I just wanted to one. mention a few of those ones really quickly because yes, I wanted to throw a couple of different plants out there. And what's really good about repellent, um, uh, so insect repelling plants, is that a lot of them are edible herbs. Yes. Which is great. It's funny that. It's, it's a we like herbs because they're <laughs> pungent. <laughs> so we're talking, uh, just to name a few, we're talking basil, garlic, uh, rosemary, lavender, mint, sage, borage, marigolds, chrysanthemums, um, wormwood, and nasturtions. So I just want to th- list off, you know, a good 10 or so of very common ones, which are actually really great for helping that resilience. It's funny because most of that list are plants that I would consider to be an absolute essential must-have mm-hmm. in every single garden, but certainly a food-growing garden. So like ones you just can't do without. We want to be smart with our planting. Yeah. And you've smart also, and strategic. You've also just given us a really good list of uh, future spotlights. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you know, beyond the garden, you know, diversity in power sources. So mm. talking, talking about things like solar, absolutely. And wind. And wind too. If you can get a turbine somewhere in you, that's awesome, absolutely. Um, I was yeah. thinking about that. I was thinking what it would be like to just put a little, a little windmill. Not a huge one. There's, just, little, there's little spiral ones. Yeah. Or something even just a, as a part of it. It doesn't have to be a functioning windmill, but it could be a decorative windmill and maybe put like a, a weather station into it or something along those lines to That's monitor cool. and catch rainwater. I like the feel. I, I, like, I like seeing when there's a little wind chime that's sitting on the side of a property and it's working and the wind's going through it. It's cool. I would love to have one of those, the ones you see on, the old ones you see on farms, the old windmills on the like... 
that just looks like an old school windmill with like the big tail coming out the back. Yeah, the yeah. Big wooden framed ones. That'd be cool. Just sticking out of my 10 by 8 meter backyard. <laughs> <laughs> going up four stories. Yep. I think that'd be grow some plants up it or something. Um, yeah, so, you know, at the end of the day, diversity, nature is diversity mm. and that's really what permaculture is about. So this is really just about aligning another way to align with nature and take advantage of the things that nature has already figured out, mm. figured out billions of years ago. Why are you fighting this? We've spoken so <laughs> many times. It's 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 about what makes sense, and it's about what uh, is just. It's it it should be self-explanatory, and you look at it and these things and go, of course that that's 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 totally natural. That's, that's normal. Um, one of the moments that stuck out to me was actually down. It was probably my my favorite garden highlight from the winter garden from from just being uh and that was down at the uh community garden um not at the downs but at joy of the earth Earth. and we've got a small patch down there it's 1.2 by 2.4 meters approximately and um i had strategically planted a bunch of vegetables and then we had a whole bunch of things that popped up that were in the seed bank from last time. So I, right. I had planted fennel um, and I had planted lettuce seeds and those hadn't sprouted when I assumed that they would have originally. Right. And now, of course, in the seed bank and I've prepped and planted and up popped fennel, up popped lettuce, a few different varieties of lettuce. And what it did is it made this little forest of uh, I took I got the phone down and kind of brought it down from the side and as if you were going through the forest and took a little video of it and it was really cool it was this great mix um, getting photos of it and stuff like that was actually I could see bits of fennel through through behind one of the lettuces and it was Love just it. it looked really cool that and it was really lush Nature did its own little thing where it was surviving for or was fighting its fight for who was going to have dominance of this little patch of sunlight and who was going to survive over here. And I also still had that strategic like a line of uh, onions on there which are still growing and it looked really cool. It was my best looking moment and I was like, oh, that looks nice. And often those are the plants that are the strongest, the tastiest, the most resilient, uh, the ones that have made it to the seed bank and are just waiting for the right opportunity to explode. And I think with mm. as a bit of a cooking hint with fennel or a preparation hint with fennel because fennel can be quite strong mm. for some, uh, it was we did that uh, like a braised fennel. So it was oh, almost yum. boiled, fried at the same time or a sautéed and then sautéed for a long time. Because fennel's quite fibrous. <laughs> You've yeah, got to cook yeah. it well through. Um, but afterwards, yeah, it was delicious. A little bit of stock in there. Once it had all uh, reduced down and it softened up, it was really good. That's awesome. Love that. It's so funny. <laughs> this is how I know we're on the same wavelength because I, only a few days ago I took that exact photo in my own garden <laughs> where I was like – well, look, there's a little something growing under the uh, artichokes. You got went down in at there the with a camera. That's <laughs> a good photo. Oh, there you go. Great minds. Um, yeah, that's awesome. There you go. That's our permaculture principle. That's number 10. That's the most permaculture thing ever that you've said. It's just, <laughs> I just stuff just popped out of my garden and created its own little ecosystem. Um, so that's a bit, that's pretty much it. So, 
obviously I'm, I'd be giving everyone activities to do or a little something you can think about. Yeah, what's my um, homework? Here's your homework. <laughs> so pick an element um, or a system that's in your garden. Um, so I don't know what it might be. Your, your chicken run or your fruit tree grove or whatever and see if you can think of a redundancy, something where you can put in something else that is going to give you the same output. A backup plan. Um, a backup plan, exactly. Uh, and through that, build resilience through that diversity. So a few examples might be you've got a fruit tree. Okay, cool. What can you graft onto that fruit tree? Mm. You know, there's, there's theoretically no limit. You could have every single variety of plum that exists coming off of the same tree if you're patient enough <laughs> and you're good enough at grafting. Um, perhaps that's one way you can build resilience so mm. that if one of those varieties just doesn't do well one year, another variety on that tree might do really well. Mm. And in that sense, always have the output that you want. Question for you. Yes. If you've got multiple grafts on a tree, will they flower at the same time or different times? No, they're going to flower at different times. Essentially so, they are – it is its own tree, isn't it? it Once is its, it's own past tree. that graft point, it's its own tree. Exactly. So this is a – this is a – that's why I can't wait to do a proper like propagation grafting type <laughs> episode. So um, when you are grafting, you are introducing a, a clone of a tree, the original tree that you got that – it's called a scion wood from, and you are attaching it to the rootstock um, or an established tree of some kind within the same genus, right? So it might be a, an apricot onto a plum or a variety of plum onto another variety of plum. That introduced plant material is going to heal over. It's going to fuse together, but it's not going to share genetics. Hmm. So that branch that you've spliced on is and always will be whatever you spliced on. Hmm. It won't magically <laughs> mutate with the other one. It will just heal into itself and it will share nutrient, water, whatever, as if it were the same plant. So if you have an early fruiting, this is why it's a really good way to improve your harvests. So let's say you only have space for one fruit tree and you love apples. Hmm. You're the apple guy. That's, that's your favorite thing. So apples come in early, mid, late varieties and a full spectrum within that. So you could graft on everything from the earliest fruiting apple that exists to the latest fruiting apple that exists and extend what might typically be maybe a one-month, two-month harvest or whatever it might be to four months or something mm. and ensure that you get as many apples for as long as possible. Obviously, it'll be different varieties throughout the, <laughs> throughout the time, um, but that's, that's a really good way to do it. That's brilliant. Mm. I like so, that. That's a whole – there are people that get paid a lot, a lot of money to graft um, to graft things because it is – anyone can learn how to do it, but to do it with a 100% success rate takes a little bit of practice. Mm. Um, and sometimes, yeah, it's one of those barriers of entry for some people mentally where they think I'll never be at that stage. It's not that hard. I, I would love <laughs> to hear what people have successfully grafted and how they've gone about it. That would be really cool. Yeah. Definitely a, a, a feature for another episode. Have we, have we talked, just quick side, have we talked about the grafting of potatoes onto tomatoes before? No. Okay. You just, my mind's just gone. Your mind probably just melted yeah. right when I said it. it's It's 100% possible uh, because 
again, potatoes and tomatoes are mm-hmm. part of the the Solanaceae family. They're both Solan and whatever. So you can absolutely graft, you know, uh, uh, a tomato onto a potato rootstock and get tomatoes on top, potatoes on bottom. <gasps> Winner. You, you will not get a great crop of each. No. <laughs> it will suck because, as you can imagine, <clears throat> both very heavy feeders. Both heavy feeders and in direct competition with each other. So mm. it's not a great idea. That poor plant is going to be pulled <laughs> from pillar to post. Just a weird Frankenstein <laughs> thing, but uh, but it is possible. There it can be done. Um, give it a go, maybe just for fun. See if you can see if you can do it successfully. There's definitely a market for it if you know how to do it. Mm. Who knows? Um, Shall we go to a song? Let's go to a song. That's yep. a nice little quick permaculture one there. I like that. So this one is another classic Aussie band of the 80s mainly, uh, the go-betweens with Spring Rain. Perfect. Something, something we've had a bit of recently. Hey, I'm Jane Oakley, a Matilda alumni footballer, number 36, and you're listening to Radio Karen. Stay tuned. We are back on the gardening show with Brendan and myself, Henry. Uh, and once again, that was uh, Spring Rain by the Go-Betweens. Great song. Great song. Last topic. Last topic for today, gardening hacks. Hacks. Yeah. We want to know right. them. Uh, <laughs> want to know all about them. Absolutely. Um, Gardening hacks. So this one was just a very casual sort of a conversation and it's really about what we've found that's worked. Um, and you mentioned one before. You got me thinking and it straight away got me off the uh, off, that's right. off the bat with um, when you're going and buying seedlings, just give a bit of a look, a little bit of an inspect. Um, sometimes you can get some seedling packets where they're actually really overcrowded. Maybe there's three seeds that have jumped in to that one little spot where they've popped it in and where you might be, you might look at one and say, all right, that's a six punnet, six per punnet and you might check out the one behind it or next to it and it might have another three or four plants that can be split mm. out which have just accidentally been overseeded into those little punnet trays. That was one of my little gardening hacks. That's that's a really good tick actually. So <laughs> uh, I went more the... Um, thinking about DIY projects that mm-hmm. I do. But if I'm thinking about hacks specifically, I can start with that. There's a few. So one that I've heard of, um, <laughs> which I thought was genius, was um, uh, an old housemate of mine was telling me about, I believe it was his father, was getting plants stolen from the front yard, like ripped out of the front yard oh, constantly. No. We don't want that. And he was getting so pissed off. He was he was buying, you know, mature-ish plants and, you know, brand new blueberry shrub and planting it all nicely and then he'd come the next day and it'd be gone. So obviously somebody on the street or in the area thought, I'll have that. So what he started to do, what his, his solution was, um, was just to buy tube stock. So it's just not even consider buying mature plants for the front yard. Twofold. Number one, no one steals a tube stock. <laughs> and number two, by the time it gets big enough that it's fruiting and people might want to steal it, it has established its roots so well that it becomes impossible to pull out mm. compared to the same size plant that you've just planted where it's usually just a lift and walk. Mm-hmm. So sometimes, um, and for many reasons, be patient, start small, and things will grow up and get to that size eventually anyway. You'll save a bit of money 
And not have your plants stolen, <laughs> potentially. I like it. That's an issue in your area. The, the, he's enacted that principle that we've just spoken about, resilience in the garden, yeah. diversifying. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> what else? What else have we got? So, <coughs> excuse me, DIY garden hacks. Some really – I was having a think about it and, and a few bits and pieces I use again and again and again yep. and again and again. And some of those ones are star pickets. Yep. Um, star pickets actually have got a, a, a hole every 15 centimetres or so as it goes up on one of the three folds of that star picket. Yep. And uh, what I used this time around was that as a bit of a trellis and just strung up the, the twine through that and, and used that as a growing frame. For the longest time... I thought that's what it was for, very specifically. Ah. <laughs> Which it obviously isn't specifically for that. But I was like, oh, these tar pickets are really good. You know, they've specifically put these things here for trellises. Mm. No, that's just a happy coincidence, it turns out. Hey, why there not? There you go. Um, cattle grid. Yes. So cattle grid. Love cattle grid. We're talking stainless steel, I think stainless steel, these are generally? or uh, It can be galvanized. Galvanized, so yeah. I, my, my deck um, railing. Is that stuff specifically? I just bought the cheaper galvanized stuff mm-hmm. and then spray painted it black. Yep. But you can get it stainless. It's just yeah. it's going to cost you more. And with the cattle grid, it's actually quite flexible. Mm. So you can bend it into shapes. And when you were mentioning about your espaliered tree shaping yep. over, I was thinking the same thing actually with um, just the cattle grid and for beans. So mm. trying to do a vertical wall, but then shaping it and leaning it over, still yep. propping it up, but having somewhere where beans could potentially just hang down yep. like a half uh, semicircle or half harbour. Yes. Nice. Um, what else? Sheet mesh, Rio. Rio. We You spoke about Rio just before. Very useful. Mm. Great for espaliered, great for um, things like growing jasmine, star jasmine against a fence line. Really cool for things like that. And another one were, was, um, of course, bamboo. Bamboo <laughs> and twine. Bamboo. Who, who has not used bamboo before? Well, in a garden setting. You, you mentioned it just before, the single leader for a tomato plant. It's great. Perfect. Easy way to use it, yeah. definitely. Um, and I always say with bamboo, you know, if, if you have to buy bamboo, buy the longest length you possibly can uh, because I find when they sell it in those one meter lengths. Mm, they're a bit brittle. It's, yeah, it's they're small, they're brittle. And it's like, what can you really use that for? Because you really need to be sinking a good, I would say, 50 centimetres worth into the ground for mm. it to be really stable. So that potentially is leaving you with a 50 centimetre long something. That's not really useful, maybe for propping up a very young plant. But if you buy the really long ones, you can just chop them down if you need to mm, mm. and build all kinds of structures with them. So that's my DIY hack. I like um, it. Always buy the longest length or dimension of what you can. This is generally speaking timber steaks, whatever it is, um, because it is typically going to be cheaper. You pay for every cut they make <laughs> and you can always cut it back yourself. Mm. Mm. Uh, the big thing about those particular bits and pieces, and I think you're about to mention a couple more, but the, the you can just reuse it into multiple purposes, mm. multiple shapes, multiple setups, uh, and that's what I like. I like that it's... You know, those star pickets aren't going to wear out. <laughs> no. I'm going to be able to use them for the next 50 years most likely. That's it. Um, mm, did you have a couple of extra ones in there? Yeah, bricks. 
mm. bricks and pavers. Um, I'm always keeping a bit of a lookout on Facebook Marketplace or wherever it might be for people. You know, if it's bricks and pavers, you can get them for free. Mm. Um, you don't need that many, but it's always good to have even just like a dozen bricks. You know, perhaps you want to put some shade cloth over something temporarily, mm-hmm. and you want to pin down the bottoms of the shade cloth. Yep, a good temporary weight. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Maybe you have a really big garden bed and you don't want to step in it because you should never really step on your garden soil. You're going to ruin the structure. You're going to compact it. So just laying a few bricks in your garden as stepping stones, little things like that, um, make your job easier, you know, when it comes to gardening. Uh, Hardwood stakes is another one. So a good solid, again, don't buy the little skinny thin garden stakes. They are useless. They rot too quickly buy the big ones. So at least sort of 25 mil squared, Mm -hmm. ideally the 30, 35 mil squared thicker ones. uh, And as long as of a length as you can manage, I suppose, two and a half meters each or whatever it is. Because again, you want to really be, for those ones, which are designed for heavy plants, you want to make sure they're really deep in the ground. Mm. So give yourself that room to grow. So I saw uh, a product which was a little steel top that sits with the at, sides on it, and it's got four little spots for the those garden stakes that you yep. just moment uh, that you just mentioned, and you automatically turn it into a, a perfect like climber or trellis or the, not trellis. I'm not too sure what that shape is called uh, like exactly. This, sort of pyramidy kind of. Yeah, shape? a pyramid. So it's got this little metal piece that sits on the top, and you can reuse those wooden stakes and pop them in to make as the legs for them um, and essentially the piece that you purchase is just that steel bit that sits on the top. I've seen a few of these now. Um, these are becoming really popular actually. Um, I see them all in community gardens similar to that one, one that has um, all three main axes. Mm-hmm. So it's basically a corner of a box shape Yep. so that you can have you know four stakes in the ground and you can put one of those at the top of each one and then connect the top with four stakes and create an arbor essentially or something like that. Mm-hmm. Same sort of principle. You just buy the metal, black powder-coated metal you know, things and you add the stakes yourself. Yeah. Um, and see what you can do. It'll be crazy geodesic dome or <laughs> I don't know, whatever you can manage. For sure. Um, but yeah, really another one, wire. So, mm. you know, marine grade stainless steel braided wire is a really good one for espalier trees, for creating sort of more permanent climbing structures for things like passion fruit. Mm. That's what I've got mine for on a big brick wall. Again, things that are easy to store that stack nicely or can hang nicely because a big part of this as well is not hoarding, Mm. you know, only collect the best of the materials that you use. Often if you see a big pile of bamboo on the side of the road, Unless there's some really long three-meter thick pieces, don't pick it up. <laughs> You're never going to use it. You're never going to use it. <laughs> it's, it's safe to leave it, I'm telling you. <laughs> it's, a, it's such a blurry line because I feel like there could yeah. be a lot of people in the in the gardening world as well who would be, oh, I could use that in the yeah, garden. But oh, here's the thing. Oh. You've probably already got a stack like that at mm. home that you never use. <laughs> you know what I mean? So why add to it? Uh, but keep an eye out because mm. there's a lot of these things for free. Another one that I, I actually have started collecting um, just because of clearing things in the garden is large branches. Yep. So we're talking at least a metre long, even two metres long that are at least maybe five centimetres thick, big long branches, even ones that aren't very straight. 
uh, because I do want to actually experiment with more natural climbing structures. And this mm. is maybe something I'll do next season and maybe try and build something that looks really interesting and different uh, and semi-natural and then grow things up it yep. and see how that goes. Might have some success with that. Um, but, yeah, that, that's that's me. That's, I like it. That's what I collect <laughs> in terms of DIY. So we, in previous ones, we've actually mentioned, and I'll throw this into the gardening hacks as well at the same mm. time because it's not your standard in-ground gardening, but we mentioned last time hydroponics, vertical grow towers, um, and also clonings, cloners. Yeah. Um, so from the cloner side of things, really great hack. Let's say you get a, a, you've got a great tomato plant and you want to grow a lot of those tomato plants. You can take that plant, you can clone it, and by chopping off, you know, a good branch or so, mm. um, you know, 15, 20 centimetres of it and pop it into the water, get some roots growing and you've got that same mature plant that's just been propagated. This has been cloned essentially and we can do that multiple times. Jurassic so. Park. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the other one as well, YouTube. YouTube yeah. is an awesome. It can be a great resource. And a good tip here is just to be mindful that you're getting trusted content and you're getting in a source where you, that you've got the capacity to filter out some of the noise potentially. Yeah, I'll give you a pro hint on that, uh, a pro tip on that. If it comes from an account or has a title that is something like uh, five-minute gardening craft hacks or mm. something like that, it's probably BS <laughs> and you can safely ignore it. Um, but if it's, uh, you know, more established channel with content that is not just designed for high numbers of views and clicks, mm -hmm. um, so it's maybe just I've put an example here, self-sufficient me. Perfect. It's a really good one, a guy up in Queensland called Mark where, um, you know, genuinely cares about wanting people to grow food and to do so in a sustainable way. So a lot of DIY stuff going on there. If you like cow panel arches and things like that, he's the guy to look at. Um, and the kind of guy that you can tell doesn't give a rat's whether you watch or not. Yeah, yeah. That's who, you, that's who you want to go to. He's doing it for passion. <laughs> and passion. You, just looking, talking to Mark for a moment, um, watching some of those videos, I walk away from it and it, it inspires me. And I want to get into the garden and build things. Yeah, and <laughs> his, his motto, his catchphrase sticks in my head. I do want to get into it. I'm like, yeah, let's get into let's it. Let's get into it. Yeah, Love it. total legend. Um, we'll reach out to Mark one day. We'll see if we can get him on the show. Oh, mate, that would be... Why not? We can call him in. Why not? Wait, Let's we could do whatever we want, Brendan. We, Mark, are, we are the bosses of this show. <laughs> if, if you're out there, Mark, we, we want to have a chat to you and an interview on the, on Mark, the show. Mark, uh, if, you're, if you're listening, um, <laughs> awesome, hi. Uh, yeah, we'll get in touch. Yep. Yeah, we'll, we'll set something up. And we love your channel. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Um, what else? Ziploc bags. You mentioned this one, was it last week? Yeah, yeah. Yep. So this is all for seed propagation. And the hack here is that you can do it inside, essentially on a windowsill. Mm. We know we, we've got the idea of your avocado half, you pop the little skewers into it, pop it sitting in the in the glass of water, let it go. We learnt about sweet potatoes and slips and that's the same method that we yep. do for sweet potatoes to propagate them. Um, but talking about propagating and starting seeds, in essentially just getting a Ziploc bag, any one of those little plastic ones, getting some paper towel mm. and 
get, grabbing some seeds, folding it over, wetting the paper towel, and yep. then simply just popping it in the Ziploc bag and leaving it on the shelf for a few days, allowing that first little bit of sun and moisture to start the germination process, and then uh, carefully picking them out and um, and just planting them straight into the ground. There you go. So that's a way to start some seeds. That's that's you couldn't get more simple and DIY than that. Mm. <laughs> a paper towel and a Ziploc bag. That's right. <laughs> that's all you need. Uh, another good one is oh, plant labels. This yes. is this is the bane of my existence. I've I've not yet found a plant label I like. I've mm-hmm. tried I've tried cardboard. Terrible, of course, as mm-hmm. you can imagine. I tried those um, those bamboo ones they make. They sell at the diggers. Uh-huh. Those bamboo ones. Um, they're not bad, but they really don't take ink well. <laughs> so they don't really work in that sense. I've obviously tried plastic, which I just don't like. Even though they're reusable, I've yet to find a marker. I've tried like a gardening marker, which is basically just a fine-tip permanent marker, really. Again, I didn't like the results. Um, milk bottles feels like it would work better just because they're a little bit more textured on the outside hmm. than plant labels i might give that one a go but yeah milk bottles sorry <laughs> i just went straight into it uh chopping up milk bottles yeah and then yep. you can make those tags as big as you want um you're reusing something that would have you know gone to the bin or the recycling already hmm. so you're giving it an extra life they are then recyclable after that point yeah for really sure good another one i've seen is um aluminium so from a can or something if you like to get on the beers or you know the diet cokes or whatever Chopping up the can um, and on the inside, um, what you can actually do is use a pen and write into the can quite firmly. You won't necessarily get a pen mark, but you'll indent ah, yeah. the metal yep. and then that will never go away. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you can't reuse it then unless you get there with a little hammer and maybe try and tap it flat again. But that's an easy one that will last the weather, never erase on you um, and is, of course, recyclable. I like so, reuse things. Reuse things. That's that's the yeah. That's the key. Why why would we want to go out and um, buy a whole bunch of stuff only for it to be produced in the same way and then to go into the same place at the end of the day? That's Let's it. get it for free. What else? Yeah. So I just put a, a quick little a quick little back and forth list here that we can go through of just mm. um, things that you can build in your garden that are very DIY ish um, that can fulfill the purposes of usually purchased new materials or new systems so one is and we've mentioned this one in the past is the classic pallet herb garden so getting a a pallet um you know hanging it on a wall vertically and then perhaps filling in some of the slats or some of the dead space to create several tiers of planter box to grow herbs or strawberries or something like that Um, you can get really i've seen really elaborate versions of this it can be very simple, mm. very just nail it to the wall, chuck a few things in, and they tend to work relatively well if you pick the right plants and and have enough soil volume. I was thinking soil volume for planter mm. for planter pallets, especially. Um, I've actually seen pallets being used in as way down structures, essentially. Um, so almost to hold back a part of a retaining wall, a natural retaining wall. Okay, and then allowing more soil to be thrown onto it to essentially anchor it 
to that side. Uh, and that was an interesting use of palettes that I had seen. It was heat treated. It wasn't a, a, a treated one. But of course. So they were eco, eco palettes. Funny you said that. Um, Hannah Maloney, the Tasmania presenter for Gardening mm. Australia mm. and a permaculture legend, um, her and her husband's um, sl- uh, block in, in Hobart is a crazy slope, like, you know, 40 degree. It looks like 40 degree slope. And they basically trellised the entire – not trellised, um, what's it called? Tiered, uh, whatever. Mm. They, yep. they made tiers all the way down and um, that's how they held back the soil on the slopey parts. Do you know it could have actually been Hannah's Palettes one that I was everywhere. thinking Maybe of. that's what you're thinking yeah, of. Yeah. Um, very successful. Worked really well and then mm. eventually the perennial plants get their roots in there and – and if, if it's, go. eventually it's just going to break down anyway. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I like it. I like that. Pallets, once again. But, but yeah, pallets. Look for quality. Yep. Look for ones with no damage. Yep. And heat-treated timber heat. only. Correct. Mm. Yes. What else? Drawer planters. Drawer planters. Drawer planters. Drawer. Just drawers. Just drawers. Yeah. Dresses. Drawers. I like it. Um, so, yeah, put repurposing old drawers. I've seen this one a few times. Uh, I'm like, yeah. On Pinterest or whatever, uh, but it's a pretty cool idea. Is um, you know get a a chest of drawers, you know perhaps like a sort of you know meter tall dresser with you know three banks of drawers, and then you know opening the bottom drawer all the way and turning that into a planter box. Opening the next one halfway, open the top one a little bit more, and creating like a sort of a sloped tiered planter out of drawers mm-hmm. might be a way to use it. You know, next time you're out in hard rubbish. Have a look, you know. <laughs> would you line it with something? Absolutely. Yeah. I would totally line with it. I would drill holes in the bottom of all the drawers mm-hmm. um, and then perhaps line it with a geotextile fabric. Yep. Uh, it, would, you know, it still might rot after a while, sure, but as long as it's got good drainage, um, you can clear that water out. Well, what is permanent anyway? Or use it for, you know, succulents, things that don't require a ton of water mm. uh, and definitely don't want their feet wet, you know. Really, it's just about reusing things in an interesting way. It's sort of what I was thinking with that one. Um, bicycle wheel trellis. Now, this one I've seen. I've seen this one a few <coughs> times. It's really cool. It's using old bicycle wheels, which I'm sure you can find in hard rubbish, mm-hmm. uh, you know, off the side of the highway, just kind of sitting there uh, for free on Facebook Marketplace, um, using them as a trellis. So you can provide support by using stakes around the outside. I've even seen them you know, one big post and then have three bicycle wheels stuck one on top of the other and then just having like a big sort of tower made that way. Um, you know, it's it's a good system. It's strong. It will last forever and it's got enough kind of points on it that plants can find an anchor really easily. Mm-hmm. And you can tie things really easily to it. And, they, and it looks interesting. It looks cool. <laughs> it yeah. looks interesting. Might not be your cup of tea. Some people don't, yeah. Sometimes uh, people like the very conservative manicured <laughs> exact, exact look. And sometimes everybody, sometimes I, people are a bit more. I don't think that's necessarily freeze. our audience here. But Maybe if that's not. you, I totally <laughs> get it. That's absolutely fine. I do like, I like a nice, beautiful structured botanic garden as much as the next person as well <laughs> i'm just a bit more of a, a trash gremlin when it comes to the state of my garden that's all 
Um, the bicycle wheel trailers down at Joy of the Earth have got a great one there. Oh, and do it's they? Over an archway. Oh, and yes. they've basically just plugged it along the archway. And it's much more, it's a bit more visual than it is practical. Yeah. But um, they do have Kiwis growing on that one as well. There you go. Yeah. So. Structural, really, um, you know, sculptural, I should mm, say. Sculptural. sculptural. Definitely. What else? Shutter garden screens. Now, this, yeah, this one's a great one. And I've seen this one. Arranging old wooden shutters to create decorative garden screens. Perfect for adding privacy or framing specific areas of your outdoor space. That's it. I love the idea of using what things that typically sit on a wall of a house mm-hmm. um, or on a window of a house and just using them sort of freestanding in a garden as like an element. Like I've seen some cool things like, you know, people creating a garden room, perhaps using some kind of, you know, bamboo or something or hedges to make sort of a wall to mm. section off a space. But then literally like putting in just a, just a door frame just sitting there by itself yep. in the garden and just adding a bit of something curious to your garden. Curious is a good word. Yeah, I like it. I like that. Um, the bathtub pond, this is a classic one. So, you know, old bathtubs, go buy your local tip shop. You'll find a bathtub mm-hmm. every time. <laughs> Over at Frankston Recycling Centre. Um, FRRC FRRC yep. yep they've definitely got uh, lots of sinks bathtubs all mm. of that sort of stuff just out the front Mornington as well has has, has very similar area out the back with that it's funny the the, uh, the treasure chest one in Frankston um, I've been I've been eyeing up you know what I'm talking about. I've been eyeing up the jet ski out the front. And I'm like, how can I turn that into a planter box? <laughs> or the trailer or the, the half a boat. <laughs> the half a boat, the, the one third of a ute. Um, you know, but that's good. That's a good tip as well. Is, mm. You know, if, if you need structures, if you need wire, if you need trellis, if you need uh, pots. Pots. That's where I went to to Go get to lots and lots of seed planters. Yeah, I wanted to have heaps of seed planters online so I could do lots of seed runs. Mm. Didn't want to pay fifteen dollars or something per tray. Yeah, I went over to uh, FRRC and you, you can walk in and, and it's almost like a name your price and they'll say, "Oh, two dollars?" Question mark. And you go, "Yeah, okay." Yeah. If I buy two more, will you give them all to me for two dollars? Yeah. And they're like, "Yeah, whatever." Uh, <laughs> so they're good crew. They're a good crew there. They are. They really are. Um, but yeah, you know, in terms of bathtubs, you can you know, turn it into a small pond, mm-hmm. some sort of a water feature. Um, you could perhaps fill it with soil and water and create like a bog environment and grow some interesting bog plants, maybe a carnivorous plant section of your garden. Mm, with some, um, a pitcher. Yeah, pitcher plants and Venus fly traps and, you know, sundews and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, or even, you know, fish. Get a little fish system going on, um, or a worm farm. Worm farm. We, we spoke have about one at that the farm, at the Brickworks. Actually. At um, the Brickworks, actually, yeah, we've got two. There's, there's one at Brickworks. There's one at um, Joy, uh, at the Downs. That's it. Um, you know, a lot of uses. Uh, funnily enough, uh, there's a guy. He works at Ceres, um, in in the in the grocery section there. Uh, total legend. Um, uh, can't remember his name. Jens, I believe, and. Um, he, we went to visit his house as part of my permaculture course because he lives in a rental. So it was a really interesting to see some of these permaculture principles in a rental environment. Mm, um, temporary. So temporary. And I say temporary. He's like, I can move everything that's in here. Mm. But his garden is a bathtub garden. 
everything is bathtubs. Wow. So instead of planter boxes, he's just gotten bathtubs because they're really cheap or even free. Uh, and he's got bananas growing out of bathtubs. Wow. That's the thing that stands out to me. He's just got massive bananas growing out of bathtubs in every corner of the garden. He's going to need a crane and, and a no, forklift. no, it didn't look crap. It looked awesome. Wow. It was like a real vibe there. It was really lovely and uh, a really welcoming place, a really welcoming guy. Um, just really interesting. He's like, you know, they're, they're great. They're, mm. they're an abundant resource. They usually go to the tip. Um you know, they're strong enough to be sort of picked up with a pallet jack or something um, when you need to move uh, and they hold a good volume of soil. Mm. So. I wonder how much <laughs> how much a bathtub would weigh once it's got a few banana plants and a lot of soil in. You'd probably need... Uh, a solid tonne, probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you'd uh, need a bit of a hand getting it onto a pallet know, jack. A bathtub's, what, 200 litres roughly? So Yeah, yep. yeah. Uh, but there you go. Uh, we've talked about other ones as well. Window frame greenhouse. Yeah, we did that one last week. way to do that, of course. Or last um, episode. Use old window frames. Um, but yeah, that's that's pretty much what I had there. Um, any others? I was going to say the pallet, uh, the pallet compost. So we were talking about pallets before, but using them as a compost bay. Yep. Um, or... Or a bay for receiving things like oh, what we did the other day that's, down at Joy of the uh, down at Downs. I'm getting it. confused today. <laughs> um, but essentially, using pallets, uh, standing them up, grabbing a few star pickets, um, you can s- keep them in place, and essentially putting a back and two two walls on it, um, and a hinged door, and you can create yourself a compost bin. Um, very easy. Very yeah. easy. Or even just that that cattle mesh wire. If you've got it and it's quite malleable, wrapping it around at a 1.2 meter diameter gives you enough closed space on the inside to be doing um, doing another set of compost as well. So there DIY hacks for compost bins. There you go. I'll, I'll throw two more at you before we before we wrap it up. Mm. Uh, gutter gardens or PVC gardens. So getting old guttering or PVC, attaching it to your fence, uh, potentially at a zigzag mm-hmm. sort of to each other with a very gentle slope so that you can water the top and it will filter through all of them and then have strawberries or herbs or whatever growing out of them. Using gutters will give you that sort of rustic old look. Using PVC will make you look like more of a mad scientist, whichever one. Whichever, whichever one you – I know which one you go for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know which one I'll go for. Um, but, yeah, you know, that, that's a way to increase your vertical growing space, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. being creative. And finally, um, if you want to get into worms um, – I do say please don't buy a black plastic worm farm. I know it's very tempting and they look great. Uh, If you have one, that's cool. Use it, obviously. But perhaps consider using those large styrofoam boxes, um, those cool boxes, um, the ones that are stackable because you can build a worm farm that is is stackable, uh, is compact, is going to make your worms way happier. It's going to make them a lot easier to keep moist and happy and functionally works the same way. So why would you buy black plastic, Mm. you know? Polystyrene is an interesting one or styrofoam. It Mm. can, obviously it can break apart. There's a lot of people who use broken up um, uh, styrofoam containers in potting mixture to aerate soil. I've actually seen it being used as a propagation method. Is that not like a... 
a microplastic kind of. But that's exactly the same situation. thought that I had. <laughs> yeah, so I'm a substitute is de- a perlite or a, um, a vermiculite sort of natural yeah, silicon right. sort of structure. I would certainly say <laughs> if you're going to use styrofoam, styrofoam boxes, um, you know, don't buy new ones. Use mm-hmm. old ones and use the really dense ones, the yeah. ones that are designed for holding weight, mm-hmm. not the ones that are made of that stuff that comes when you buy a fridge. <laughs> it's like packing the sides yep. that gets everywhere. Obviously, don't use that. Um, that's just not gonna not gonna work for me for styrofoam for me I, I always just say have an exit plan at the end of it yes like, yeah. yes <laughs> have an exit plan there you go can, yeah can degrade over time a little that, bit that, that's a great place to leave it with DIY mm. no matter what it is DIY making things uh, have an exit plan have an exit plan <laughs> yep <laughs> in case something goes wrong. Uh, what's coming up in the next show? Yes, yeah, so we've got a we've got a bit of a an interesting one, a little bit different. So we're going to start a little bit different, a little bit the same, but uh, we're going to talk a bit about indoor plants. Mm. So this is a whole area that I admit I I know a lot about and I'm terrible at. I I don't think I've watered any of my house plants in six months. Some are still alive, kind of, um, but. Definitely, I think it's it's good to go over, um, you know, proper care, some different varieties, and even touch on the foods that you can grow indoors, mm-hmm. especially given the nature of this show. We'll talk about the 11th permaculture principle, um, second to last, use edges and value the marginal. This is one of my favorites. Um, definitely one that I've, I've really thought about while designing and implementing my garden plan. We'll do a spotlight on cucurbits. Um, so this is your pumpkins, your squashes, your zucchinis. Yeah, the, the squash family essentially of plants. Uh, so there's a lot there to talk about, but a lot of the care is very similar for all of them. So good to uh, talk a bit about that. And finally, Brendan, what are we talking about? Water. Water capture. <laughs> Water capture. I hope to have a water capture plan in place by the time we get to this one. Yes, please let us know what you've come <laughs> up with. Um, so we'll talk a bit about water capture, water storage, irrigation, different kinds of irrigation from, you know, different ways to hand water, different tools, all the way through to full underground articulation, what might be the best choice for your situation, as well as potentially cover a bit about ponds and bogs and other ways to to introduce water into your system mm. sounds great absolutely well, and we've got an event coming up as well we do this saturday i believe yeah the big dig it is this saturday <laughs> so we got the downs community farm big dig uh this saturday i couldn't tell you what the date is off the top of my head but uh brendan's gonna look it up right now uh but it'll be from 10 until 1 at downs community farm on old wells road in mm. Seaford. Um, so just drive down Old Oldswell Road and you'll see a big old green sign out the front uh, for Downs Community Farm. And so that's on the 21st. 21st. There you go, the 21st. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, we'll have some, some big jobs in the garden. Uh, we're going to really get into our market garden project, um, in particular preparing the beds. Um, we've laid out the paths. We've, we know where the beds are going. We've got a giant pile of compost. We're good to go. So sadly, I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to be with you on this one, Henry. Really? Yeah. I, I won't be either, actually. I'm going to be in the city doing oh. something else. <laughs> but there will be uh, a bunch of people there. Absolutely. A, lot of, a lot of our regulars will be there. So They'll be um, looking after you. Please go in and say hello. Definitely. Go in, have a chat, have a cuppa. Um, 
Yeah. Get on down, basically. So, huge thank you, as always. Oh, and a potluck lunch. And a potluck lunch, so yes. Bring, bring a plate if you want. Um, a huge thank you, as always, to everybody who's listened, who's participated. Uh, we wish you a really great fortnight ahead. Um, thank you, as always, to all of the listeners. We hope you've been inspired to get your hands dirty, to try out some new things in the garden. And we will see you next episode. This has been Brendan and Henry on another episode of The Gardening Show, signing off. See you next time. Thank you.